Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. It's not how you start, but how you finish. We are your co-hosts, Solomon and Jamila Jefferson. We want you all to know, no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we've made, we will not allow our past to determine our future. We're here today with Brother David Garlic to discuss incarceration and reentry. Brother David, can you briefly tell our audience a little bit about yourself personally and professionally? Well, personally, I served 13 and a half years in prison in Alabama. My brother and I were sexually, physically abused. We took the person's life and got 25-year sentences. During that time, I just used it to better myself and to educate myself. I had an experience with God through the detective. He asked me if I believed in God, and I was like, no. And I was focused on myself, you know, and he was very persistent, you know, and asked me a couple more times. And I told him, okay, I will seek God. And when I got back to the county, I got a little New Testament Bible and that really changed the whole trajectory of my life, you know, and I went from thinking about what type of sentence I was going to get to just taking advantage of the time. And so I was able to better myself, improve myself. In 2008, Brian Stevenson of Equal Justice Initiative started working with my brother and me. And in that discussion, you know, he told me about Eastern University, which is a Christian college up here in Pennsylvania outside of Philly. And I was really intrigued by it. And upon my release, I was able to move up here and attend school. And during that time, I was able to meet my wife. We just celebrated our fifth year anniversary on August 15th. We're expecting our first child on December 4th. So we're really excited there. My work is I do a lot of public speaking. So I go into universities. I share my story. I share about what had happened to my brother and me. But I've also done a lot of advocacy around people who have committed sex offenses. So people always ask me, they're like, wait, you were sexually and physically abused. You took the person's life and spent time in prison for it, how can you work with these men? And it's about grace. It's about forgiveness. And the way that God has forgiven me, I look at these men in the same way. Praise God. Now, can you do this for our audience? Give at least two things that people may not know about incarceration based upon your experience. The main things that people don't understand or realize about incarceration is that the family does the time with the person that's incarcerated. Everybody thinks that that it's just the person who is locked up that does the time. But that family does the time, you know, because you look at the way that they come and they visit their their family member, the letters, the phone calls. I mean, when you think about it, sometimes phone calls cost 15 or $20 a call. And so they're investing a lot of money to keep this relationship going. And I'd say another thing a lot of people don't understand about incarceration is it's not what the media portrays. If you watch shows like Orange is the New Black or The Worst Prisons, it's not like that, you know. There are aspects of those shows that are real, but they just portray something so people will dive in and to watch that. I mean, incarceration is about dehumanizing somebody. It's about taking somebody and treating them like cattle. I mean, in Alabama, we were warehoused into this room. We were stripped. We were sprayed like we were animals. We had our heads shaved. 
shaved. We had to shave our beards. And then we were given a number. So we were treated like an animal. At that moment, I was given the number 214579. That's amazing, Brother Dave, because you gave me a flashback there because I can remember when I first went through the same process, similar to everything you spoke on as far as getting strip searched, making you cough, friend you like your animal. And I still remember 218750, which was my number. And I also realized, unfortunately, as you go through the process, you as a physical being don't go through the process, but your folder does. Goes through the classification system. And I think that's intriguing. Now, let me ask you this, if you don't mind. What were some benefits of your incarceration? I'd say the two main benefits of my incarceration was, one, my relationship with God, you know, because I grew up in the church and I knew what to say and how to say it, but I didn't have a real relationship with God. I It was more about religion. So there in the county jail, you know, is where I really had that encounter with God and I totally surrendered everything to him. The first weekend I was incarcerated, I was thinking I was going to get the death penalty or I was going to spend the rest of my life in prison. So it was just full of this fear and crying myself to sleep. But when I had that experience with God, instantaneously, this peace and joy came over me. And I was in my my county jail cell just singing and dancing and praising God. So I say that really was the thing that changed the whole trajectory of my life. And the second thing I'd say is the opportunity I had to get educated while I was incarcerated. So I was able to get my G in the county jail. And when I went to prison, I was able to go into a trade school and I was able to get a drafting certificate. But at this prison, Easterland Correctional Facility through the chapel, they actually offered a theology class. It was through an undercredited school, but I was able to get a master's of theology. The thing that I was looking at, I wasn't looking at it as some people do as far as a certificate and being able to say, hey, look at what I have. It was more about my relationship. You know, I wanted to grow deep I wanted to go deeper into the word and get better understanding of who God was and why he is the creator and why I have this amazing relationship with him. Man, I really thank you for that. And once again, I can also identify with that because I first started going to prison in the late 80s. And unfortunately, I only went to prison for committing one crime. And that crime, now that I look back at it, was my disobedience to God. Because God had called me years ago, but I became hard and rebellious. And I started doing a life in crime. So from 88 to 1999, I went to prison 17 times for the same charge. I kept violating probation and kept getting dirty yarns. And because I was part of the system, they would send you back to prison for six months or 90 days or sometimes a year and let you go again. But out of all of those little intervals, I did not receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior until the last time, 1999, I was in my cell room and I made a conscious decision to give Jesus Christ my life. And from that point on, 1999 to this day, I still go to the prison, but as a volunteer. So, so I thank God. What, what, what day in 1999? November 28th. Okay. Mine was November 1st, 1999. So it was the the same year, same month. That's awesome. Now, we know that reentry is transitioning from prison or jail back into society. Do you mind sharing some of your reentry story? Absolutely. I actually am unlike a lot of people because I had a lot of support in that because both my brother and I, when we got out, we had the assistance of Equal Justice Initiative and they have a program called PrEP. It's post-release education program. And so it's a, a program that's set up that helped us with housing. So they provided 
provided a, a studio apartment and then they provided trainings, you know, as far as social media, they provided trainings to us as far as writing resumes, just everything we were going to need to succeed upon release. You know, there were a lot of these things that I already had knowledge about, you know, because of the work I was doing while I was incarcerated. So resumes, computers, stuff like that, I was staying up to date. But the thing there is the support was very necessary, you know, because they were my support system. While I was incarcerated, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my sister all passed away. So I didn't have that family support when I got out. And so they became a surrogate family along with a church I attended. And one thing I always say is we all know the African proverb that says it takes a village to allow a child to be successful. My spin on that is it takes a village to allow a returning citizen to be successful. So it takes the person's family. It takes the person's friends. It takes a community. It takes a place of worship. It takes employers. It takes a support group to all come around this man or woman that's returning home from incarceration. And this community begins to speak life into this person. And a lot of times this person has never had this in their life. So it's something that is unique and empowering to them because they have people who believe in them and they begin to believe in themselves and then they're able to succeed in everything that they do. Praise God. I'm glad to hear that because I had a pretty good re-entry story too because mine started with work release. See, the state that I was in, majority of the time you go to work release because you got fines to pay. They take your license from you, so it cost me $3,200 to get my license back. But I got that through work release. And I thank God that during that time I did have some loving family members because you couldn't get out of prison unless you had a host. So in order for somebody to host you out, because I burned some bridges, but some bridges I didn't burn. Do you mind sharing some negatives and positive things that you and the others you know experienced during the re-entry process? Yeah, I mean, one of the most negative things I experienced upon my re-entry was I had, it took me a month and a half to get my first job. And so I get this job on a Friday. I go in for the interview at 11 a.m. I fill out the application. I have an interview on the spot. I check the box that says I've committed a felony, but we'll discuss this at the interview. So we have the interview. It's never brought up. So I'm thinking, wow, this is great. This is the first interview. No one's talked about my past. They're like, come in at four o'clock and you start working. So I got the job. I was a dishwasher making $7.50 an hour. So I go in there from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m., I'm grinding. I'm cleaning dishes like I've never cleaned dishes before. The kitchen manager brings me three different plates of food the whole time I'm working and I'm washing dishes with one hand and eating food with the other. I was so stoked. I was so excited. I'm like, I got this job. This is amazing. And then Saturday came. I go into work at four o'clock. I'm working for about an hour and a half and the general manager calls me out and says, hey, I need to talk to you. I was like, okay. She's like, I saw that you put that you have a felony in your background. And I was like, yes, ma'am. It's like, what is it? And so I explained the situation. She's like, I'm sorry that all that happened to you, but we cannot have somebody with a violent offense working here. It's company policy. So I go from this extreme high to this extreme low within a day. What was amazing, though, is a week later, I found another job where I was making $9 an hour and I was hired because I was open and honest about my past. Here's the thing that's the kicker is I saw the kitchen manager about two weeks 
weeks after I was fired and he's like, hey, do you want a job? I'm thinking, wait, I was fired because of my background. He's like, no, we don't have that policy. That was the general manager who didn't want you to work here. And so when I talk to people, I let them know that you not only have to deal with a company's policy, but you have to deal with people and their own individual policies, too. Everything you're talking about, I've experienced it. I was connected with the organization as a candidate for a certain position, as a pastor. And I was a candidate for six years, okay? The administration knew my background. As a matter of fact, the person who put me in the candidacy process, I went to school with him in high school. So she knew me personally then, and she knew me when I changed. So what they did was they elevated me and allowed me to go get my local pastor's license, and they hired me as a pastor. I was pastoring three churches. Then all of a sudden, they got a new bishop. This new bishop personally came to me and said, we can't use you because of your record. So I understand everything you're saying. I've been there and done that. It's very unfortunate, but you know what I found out? When God allowed one door to close, he opens another one. Absolutely. And that always reminds me of uh, Revelations 3, 7, and 8, where it says that God sets before us an open door that no man can shut and shuts doors no man can open. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to give my wife a chance to shine in. Yes. Well, thank you and welcome and congratulations to you and your wife and all that God has brought you through and to to be a continued inspiration and a hope. It's just amazing when I listen to you and my husband and the themes and some of the similarities that you all have been through in your journey of incarceration reentry. And I love that you mentioned Revelations because that's a perfect scripture when he mentioned the last story and you mentioned your story about barriers when you were working. But God is so faithful even in that, like when that situation happened, I felt like it grew my husband and both I and to learn that God knew what God had in store for us from him not being in that season to like being in a new season, which God has continued to provide and keep us. So even in that, like God taught us what we needed to learn in that season and forgiveness is so powerful. One of my favorite scriptures regarding this topic we've been talking about because we connected with other people as well, talking about their incarceration reentry is Romans 3, 23 through 24 from the New Living Translation. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 24, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Amen. Amen. Brother Dave, what are some practical tools and resources that you can share with our, our listeners who are currently incarcerated or about to begin the reentry process, as well as those currently in the reentry season. Well, I'd say one of the main things is to definitely connect with a house of worship, because as Christians, you know, we know that faith is very important for us, you know, and it's something that we're able to gain a lot of encouragement from. We're able to look into the scriptures and get that passion and know that we're not alone and that God's with us, you know, and we, we need mentors, you know, I mean, God never created a lone ranger Christian, so we need 
need mentors to walk with us and to encourage us and to walk with us. So, I mean, there's a lot of pen pal programs out there. So somebody that's incarcerated, they could always look out for one of those. Um, find out what type of churches are coming to the different prisons they're in or where they're going around, because that's how I found the church that I went to upon my release in Montgomery. It was one of the churches that had a prison ministry and they came into the prison once a month. And the day that I attended church, it was such a God thing, you know, because I went from being introduced to a woman that was doing the prison ministry to the pastor's wife to Bishop Kyle. And when I was introduced to him, I was told by many people in church, they're like, you do not see Bishop Kyle before a service. And he's like, hey, can I share your story about the prison ministry and how impactful it is? And he didn't just share my story. He called me up to the stage and that allowed me to be introduced to so many people in the church. And it was such an awesome experience where I was received and welcomed. I wasn't looked down upon. I wasn't shunned. I wasn't judged because of my past. I was looked at as a brother in Christ and was accepted and received. So that's definitely important there. I'd say if there's churches out there that want to get involved or communities, there's organizations like Healing Communities USA that helps churches become a beacon of light, you know, become prepared to welcome people into their church, you know, because there's a lot of times churches really don't know how to welcome somebody who has our type of background. So this organization helps prepare churches to not look at the individual as what they are, but to look at them as a brother and a sister in Christ. Another thing is connecting with employment services when they get out. In Pennsylvania, one of the key places here is this organization called CareerLink. Organizations like that is really important for people to connect with. Yes, Brother David, as we see that you're the Lancaster Program Director for New Persons Ministries, and you're also involved in a lot of other ministries as far as reentry and incarceration. Explain to our audience, why do you continue to do what you do? I actually stepped down from the role at New Person Ministries in April due to the fact that we were getting ready to have a child. We're actually doing more work as far as the public speaking that I do. And my memoir is going to be coming out in March. So we're going to be focusing on that, too. So my book will be coming out in March. So we're excited about that. But I still do a lot of work in Lancaster County and in Pennsylvania as far as reentry. I mean, I'm so connected with New Person Ministries because it's an amazing organization. They're grounded in the word of God. And the reason they came up with name New Person is because of what it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. That's the way, you know, I talk to people about these men because most of the times society will look at these men at New Person Ministries and just label them as a a sex offender. But then I talk to them. I'm like, hey, have you ever stolen anything in your life? And they'll be like, yes. I'm like, do you want me to call you a thief for the rest of your life because of something you did 15 years ago? And so it causes them to think. And I'm like, okay, that's the same way you labeling this person that committed the sex offense. I'm like, okay, yes, they committed this act, but that does not define them. What defines them is what they do today, what they do tomorrow, and the relationship that they have with God. So I said, this person is somebody who committed a sex offense. 
if you could speak to our audience today pertaining to ex-offenders, uh, people who are going through the re-entry program, and even those who are incarcerated, what would you say to us? To grab affirmations, because these are things that are going to change your life. These are things that you're going to continuously tell yourself that are going to help you get through the hardest times of your life. One of the Bible verses that I grasped and held on to for the whole time I was incarcerated and since I've been out is Ecclesiastes 4.14. And it says, for out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas he who was born in his kingdom becometh poor. And the reigning, some people would think that, okay, we're going to be a king, we're going to be on a throne. But the way I view it is that I'm coming out of prison and I'm going to be in this constant relationship with God and I'm going to be walking with him and he's going to open all of the doors that are necessary for me to succeed. And that's what he's been able to do. I mean, I am always baffled at everything that I've been able to do. So I've been out of prison seven years. I'm a college graduate. I just celebrated five years of marriage, getting ready to have a baby, working on a book. I was able to be in the movie Just Mercy about Brian Stevenson and his book. All of these things. If you asked me seven years ago, if I ever imagined any of this, I would have been like, if all that happens, Amen. I need to go like buy some lotto tickets because I'm going to hit the jackpot. Amen. Amen. Timmy, you got God, won't God do it to God be the glory because God is so faithful like when you be about God's business God is about you because God is so awesome in that way and that's why Proverbs 3, 5, 6 one of my favorite scriptures trusting in the Lord with all thy heart and leaning not to thy own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path so when you share that it's just God is so awesome and this gives inspiration and hope to you know others and our listeners and those currently impacted in this situation so I just thank God for you Wow. Amen. And one of my favorite scriptures pertaining to incarceration is Matthew 25, 36. When Jesus let people know that when I was in prison, you came to visit me. And just add to that, my father, my uncles, my cousins, friends, all kind of family came to see me while I was in prison. What really changed my life was when my father's pastor back in 1999 came to visit me. I did not know him. He came and he looked me directly in my face. And he said, I did not come to see you. He said, I came primarily to speak a word into your spirit. And from that day to now, that word spoke to my spirit. And even to this day, he's my mentor. <laughs> About that too is while I was incarcerated, the, the friends or so-called friends I thought I had when I was first incarcerated, they stood by my side for three to six months. But what's so amazing about it is my pastor and friends from the church I went to from when I was 12 years old to 16 are the ones who rode with me for the 13 and a half years that continue to write me, continue to speak life into me, continue to mentor me throughout that time. And that's really what's key. You'll see who God has meant for to be in your life at those moments and those times. Yes. Amen. Amen. Now, Brother Dave, before we go and really wrap up, but is, do you have any closing comments? Say is, you know, it takes a village to allow a returning citizen to be successful. Whatever part of that village you are, just pour into that person. If you're a family member, if you're a community, if you're an employer, be willing to take a chance on somebody who has a background. A lot of times that's going to be your hardest work 
worker you'll ever have because they know that it's not easy for them to get a job. If they get fired from a job, it might take them another three, four months to get a job where a typical person might be able to get a job that same night. So be willing to take a chance on people and don't judge somebody on their past. Look at who they are today Amen. and what is in front of you, not what happened 20 years ago. I'm glad you said that because I, and I'm speaking about me, if I was the person that I was 25 years ago, I wouldn't hire me either. <laughs> but God knows I am not that person. Go ahead, Jamila. Yes, I'm glad you keep reiterating about community and faith-based organizations. And we give God the glory and we thank God for where we worship that does partner part of the prison ministry at our church. And we thank God for that ministry that provides opportunities for returning citizens. And there's such, so many, like you did talk about Karelin, Jebs. It's just so many different organizations that we thank the Lord for that are out there and to provide people with hope. But definitely, like you said, it takes a village and places of faith and your family and whoever God brings into your life. Because it's not always, like you said, who you think, because God is God. So we have to trust God. So we're going to wrap up. But if you at this time want to please feel free to share your contact information, if you're allowed to do so, you can do that at this time. And promote your book. <laughs> well, I don't have the title of the book yet, you know, so okay. but it's going to be coming out March 2021. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, so you could find me, Dave. David Lee Garlock. I love Twitter because it's a wonderful way to talk about criminal justice reform issues, you know, and connect with other individuals throughout the country who are working not only to change criminal justice system, but also reforms and work on providing um, educational opportunities and restoring the Pell Grant. So there's uh, amazing opportunities there. And if you want to shoot me an email, you can shoot me an email at davidleegarlock at gmail.com. Well, thank you for that. Well, Brother Dave, we would appreciate you, man. This has been good. I'm not surprised, but I realize we got a lot in common. <laughs> okay, brother, we're going to see you later and you be encouraged. And God bless your book. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we have made, it does not define who we are or where we are going. It is just a part of our story and the journey that God has us on to not only learn from these different experiences, but to sometimes be able to help support, encourage, and inspire others who may be going through similar situations. My husband and I have learned this to be true because of our different life experiences, which have led us in wanting to continue to share our stories along with others to know it is not how you start, but how you finish.